manufacturers and distributors are slashing inventories. Good for the bottom line, but a potential nightmare for distribution centers. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Companies today are on a mission to lean out their supply chains. Often that leads to sharp reductions in inventory levels. But it's the DCs that end up bearing the brunt of the change. How can they adjust to a world where speed is of the essence and where mistakes in forecasting can't be covered up with safety stock? My guest today is Jeff Primo, Senior Manager in the Supply Chain Practice of Management and Technology Consultant West Monroe Partners. He discusses the impact of lower inventories on the supply chain and offers advice on how DC heads and other managers in the chain can cope with changing inventory levels. Those who can't are in for some big financial and operational headaches. So here is my conversation with Jeff Primo. Jeff Primo, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. I want to talk about issues in reducing and optimizing inventory levels. It's a crucial area these days because there are so many factors that impact the amount of inventory that's being held in DCs throughout the supply chain. Uh, First of all, though, I would like to hear from you. Do you get a sense of what the trend is nationwide in terms of whether inventories are rising or falling? A lot of the impact has come in the few last few years with a lot of the offshoring, a lot of the players typically first come for serve. So the, the major players typically get the bulk of the manufacturing capacity overseas, and they're able to better manage when and in which quantities they receive their inventories. As we go down the chain, the smaller players have had a hard time getting that manufacturing capacity, and if they want to benefit from that, They've had to put the orders a lot longer ahead of time than they typically would have. So for them, I think that this has is, raised the overall inventory levels for them to be able to compete and have access to these products. There's a lot of talks, and I, I believe that, you know, in a few of your podcasts, you've talked about nearshoring, reshoring. I think it's a slow trend. I think it is starting to come back, but I think we're still a couple of years away from, you know, a big push back to uh, reshoring in North America. So these impacts, I think, will will be there and will be of reality to a lot of players in the industry for the next couple of years. So I think it's it's very important for them to plan ahead and understand the impacts of those inventory levels and not being able to change the variables of when and how much they want to receive of that inventory. I think this is driven by offshore capacity and how big you are in the chain. Just to be clear, I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing here. What type of inventory are you referring to? Are you referring to inventory of finished goods about to enter the retail chain, or are we also talking about upstream inventory of components that go into manufacturing, or or which? 
Well, Bob, I believe both apply here. I think that uh, for some industries, it could be finished goods coming from overseas. For other manufacturers, it could be raw materials. It could be components uh, coming from from overseas. So I think that the reality applies to both finished goods and, and either working process or raw materials. So where is the decision being made these days as to how much inventory is going to be held at any given location? Well, let's, let's take, for example, specifically more a, a finished good distributor here in North America. And let's put aside for now the seasonal products, because I think these are a c- category by themselves, and there's a lot more variability in that one. So let's just talk about, you know, your regular product that you sell year-round, but that you procure from overseas. There's the optimal decision of my inventory levels that I want to keep in my network. Could it be in my hub, in my spokes? So there is that decision. I think that we've talked a lot about forecast accuracy and all that, so people are getting better at that. So I can come up with a forecast. I can come up with certain inventory levels that I would like to keep in my supply chain. But then the decision comes from how much of that product am I able to get from overseas. A lot of times there's some minimum uh, manufacturing quantities to be ordered from overseas. So I may not want to have so much product in my inventory, but that minimum makes it that instead of keeping maybe eight weeks, well, I'm obligated to keep 16, 20, and even some cases higher than that because if I want to benefit from that manufacturing overseas and those reduced prices on my finished goods, the only way I could put my order in and have it in time is for me to order larger quantities. So I think that the decision made from a corporation is we're trying to get the optimal levels, but then by having that decision almost reversed or changed based on the criteria that are being forced upon myself of how much can I order and when can I get it. So it starts from the forecast. The decision's coming down from a forecast that was made in the demand forecasting area of the supply chain, and then it filters down to the D.C. Are the D.C. heads themselves being kept in the loop when it comes to these decisions, or does sometimes the decision to cut inventory or increase inventory happen without even their knowledge or at the very last minute they're finding out about it? Well, that's a great point, Bob. A lot of times what's, what's happening is we've talked about, you know, a lot about sales and operation planning. Uh, a lot of these decisions are made at the higher level of the organization. So most often than not, it's a financial decision. Uh, companies want to try to reduce their inventories, and they make that decision from a pure financial standpoint, and they sit down with marketing departments, procurement departments, financial departments, and they come to the realization that, hey, if I was to cut my inventory, if I reduce the number of days on hand I have or coverage days, then, wow, you know, I I can greatly reduce the inventory. But operations, on the other hand, is always at the other end of that spectrum, and not often enough are they invited to the table so that they can realize the impact of those decisions that are being forced upon them. Too often, it's a little too late for them. I mean, products start showing up at the door, and next thing you know, instead of receiving multiple pallets of a product, I'm starting to receive, you know, cases, half pallets, and it completely changes the operational model at the DC level. So although those decisions are great decisions from a financial perspective, I think that 
people would greatly benefit of inviting operations to the table so they can have the word on the impact it will have in the supply chain and especially in the distribution world. So this gap is a business process issue, not particularly an IT issue. Correct. I think these are not solved by software, although it would be great if one software would be able to calculate all these variables in the mix. A lot of times the SNOP forecast also is in dollars, where if I'm a, a, a DC manager, well, dollars doesn't make much difference for me. It's more in terms of volume that I'm receiving. So I think there's the business process there of converting those forecasts, converting those impacts of dollars to actual products, cases, pallets, those numbers. And a lot of times what we see also is that when these calculations are made to reduce inventories or to increase or reduce, a lot of times there's no system today that's capable of calculating the impact on the operation. So how is that going to affect my receiving time? How is that going to affect the capacity I have in my DC? Yes, it could be a great deal financially. Hey, if you order four months, I'll give you a 10% rebate. Well, how does that affect my capacity in my DC? If all the buyers decide to go ahead and buy you know, a good deal, well, I might become in excess capacity in my DC where there's no penalty for that from a procurement standpoint. A lot of times it's business process, it's collaboration within the corporation with all these departments and especially operations because they're the one that will have to deal with the impacts of those decisions. So sometimes what seems to be a great financial decision, if I factor in all the extra work and all the constraints that are going to be placed on the DC, well, that deal might not be as good as it looked the first day when that decision was made. But I thought that companies had scenario planning capability these days, or at least some of them, the ability to run a number of so-called what-if scenarios that can that can help them to calculate the impact of their decisions on operations. I think you're right, Bob. I believe these systems today are, at a high level, I can understand my network capacity. Am I going to go totally over my capacity? How will I distribute those stocks within my network? I think the issue comes if we go down the level and we go a little bit more granular. So from a high-level perspective, I think that there are software that can help you do what-if scenarios. But when I come to more of the detail-level operations from a DC perspective, for the moment I have all these trucks showing up in my yard, from the impact it has on my receiving labor, how much time is it really going to take me to receive four cases versus receiving a full pallet? Is there a labor standard I could calculate that once I make my procurement decision, I might be able to, it might make sense for me to say, hey, you know what, receiving a little bit of this product very often is going to cost me a lot because I've calculated my labor standard on that and it's going to create a big impact on my receiving labor. I think that that granularity is what doesn't exist today. And although possible, I think that it would be a great tool to be able to go down to that level. Well, you're right. I think at a high level, there are some systems right now that can give you a high-level what-if, but it doesn't break it down inside the four walls. So I can have a total capacity within my four walls, but that usually doesn't dictate exactly the operational impact on the D.C., you know, outsourcing carries uh, some obvious advantages in terms of cost savings and shedding the particular processes that are not one part of a company's core competency. 
At the same time, I wonder if it creates the potential for yet another disconnect, as we were talking earlier, about a decision made at a high level and the execution level. Uh, if, if you've outsourced an aspect of your logistics or, for that matter, if employing a vendor-managed inventory-type arrangement where your vendor is responsible for feeding inventory to you at a certain, at a certain amount based on their forecast, does that create additional potential for gaps in communication? Yeah, I think I think it could. I think that VMI is a good example. That brings me to the point of I think collaboration. I think collaboration is key and, and VMI, the basics of VMI is to be able to have good collaboration. A supplier that has good visibility into your forecast is better able to improve their operations, improve their inventory levels to make sure that you don't run out of stock. But at the same time, they don't want to carry two years of inventory for you. I mean, at some point that deal is going to become non-profitable for them. And, you know, the key in the supply chain is it has to be a win-win situation. There are some gaps when there is a lack of collaboration. And I think that even from an outsourcing perspective, yes, lead times are longer, you know, when it comes from overseas. So if I was nearshoring, I would eliminate that lead time of transportation. But at the same time, if my manufacturing supplier is five miles away or 5,000 miles away, if I don't have great collaboration, I'm going to have those same gaps of not communicating and collaborating on forecasts and so that we can better benefit both of us in a win-win scenario of here's what, you know, typically I would consume in the next few months, you know, so they can plan and optimize their production and thereby lowering their costs, lowering your costs. But I think it's when there's no collaboration between parties in a supply chain, I think that's where it creates big gaps and more inventory in the supply chain, either at your supplier or at yourself. And you define collaboration basically as communication, right? I mean, or is it the physical presence of people in a room uh, at, regular, at regular intervals? How exactly does collaboration happen in a realistic supply chain that's successful in this way? Well, I think the most successful players, you know, obviously there is the face-to-face collaboration to first, I think, kick off the process, understand everybody's needs. But I believe once the process is in place and data is shared across partners, I think this could become a seamless integration of collaboration through pure data points of, hey, here's my demand forecasting planning schedule. Here's how I go to that process. We meet once a month, we meet once a week, you know, we have quarterly. Here's how I'm going to feed you data and be able to to collaborate from a data standpoint so that both systems can talk together and one feeds forecast to the other one. I think this becomes, in the best practice, I think the best companies out there are able to do collaboration from a procurement standpoint without having to be in the same room. Do things get more complicated with the growth of e-commerce and specifically that of the omni-channel, which I would imagine would alter the nature of what's in a warehouse? Uh, something that might come in previously on a pallet is now coming in to be picked in eaches uh, and has to fulfill an immediate consumer demand. So how does that complicate the, the picture here and how can companies overcome that additional complication? Yeah, I think that's another uh... Another very concerning point for distributors these days, how to solve the omni-channel. Obviously, a lot of warehouses were not built to do uh, consumer picking. So I have a facility that's made to pick full cases, and now I have to pick eaches to be able to send to, to consumers. I think that 
there's a lot of analysis to go into that. I think a lot of companies have tried to solve that by using their stores in the event that they have stores to ship products directly to consumer. It opens up a whole new discussion of, while my stores are, might not be staffed, might not be equipped to process all these orders coming in, well, how is that going to impact now? Am I going to empty my store shelves to fulfill online consumers? And how do I minimize that impact? Because obviously the person that walks in the store doesn't want to see this, the shelves empty because everybody else order online. So I think there's really a balance there that is critical for the years to come as we, I mean, e-commerce has grown tremendously throughout the years and I think it just keeps growing and growing. It's for these distributors to either change their model, change their way that they're operating within the DC. I've seen some, some companies outsource their e-commerce operations because they just weren't, they're just not able in the same footprint. And that's the other thing is you're usually confined to a one footprint, but it's not because you're picking each is that you need to let go of the cases. And if I need to pick each, each is in cases in the same location, then it, you know, it creates complication and it's more complex to manage. I think it is a, a, a great example of the complexity of what the online world has brought to the brick and mortar type of environment that we had before. So not only are we seeing changes in what's in the warehouse, we're seeing changes in where it is. Uh, some companies moving from a centralized kind of distribution strategy to the opening of more regional distribution centers to serve customers in a, in a more timely fashion. Does that further make it difficult to understand what are the optimal inventory levels one needs to be keeping at each of these additional places. Yeah, that's another great point. I think that there's a lot of competition out there. You know, I mean, a lot of people are even starting to talk a lot more about same-day shipping. Obviously, in a model where you're shipping to your store and you have great forecasts, well, you have that lag of time where, you know, you know your shelf's not going to be empty, so you have enough time to fill your shelves. But now from a consumer perspective, obviously, if I'm, situ if I'm situated on the, on the West Coast and all my orders are coming in from the East Coast, well, it might not be very cost-efficient for me, especially with all those free shipping offers out there, to be able to fulfill that demand next day. It's going to come at a high cost. So, again, I think that's what it is. I think it's people are either outsourcing to third-party logistics that are more present from a local perspective or using their stores, or if the volume is there, they will basically, you know, again, open new regional DCs. Then I think it takes great tools to be able, what we usually call DRP or distribution resource planning, to really understand, you know, where does my inventory has to come in? For example, let's say a distributor that has 500 stores, which I would use a model to model my inventory levels within my 500 stores. Now, if I put in all these data points from online consumers, well, that 500 might grow to 500,000. So now it becomes, I need to be able to aggregate and really understand that data for me to understand where my inventory levels need to be. I mean, what used to be a complex model, even with 500 stores, now has closed exponentially to all these online consumers and their historical demand might not predict future as well as a store because obviously a store is aggregated to a bunch of consumers. Now I have to figure out how to aggregate all that demand for my, all my online consumers and all my ship to addresses. So 
it, it becomes a very complex model. Demand forecasting was is already hard as it is today, and we all know that you know it's very hard for anybody. You know, people have to make reality that the forecast is never going to be perfect. But now we're introducing a lot more variables in the system, which make that forecast even harder to guess and to predict using all these multiple data points. All right. So how can manufacturers, distributors, retailers? ensure that they are prepared for these changes going forward? How can they do a better job? I'm a strong believer in in collaboration. I think that collaboration starts within the corporation. So breaking down those walls of siloed operations from a financial standpoint, from a procurement standpoint, from a sales and marketing standpoint, operations, I think everybody has to be involved around the table. So everybody understands the impact of each other's decision, the corporation as a whole. It's not necessarily a bottom-up versus a top-down approach. I think it's a left-to-right and right-to-left collaboration type of deal. Uh, I think everybody has to bring in their points, understand the impacts of decisions that are being made, be able to understand the type of data that is needed to make the right decisions. It's never going to be the best decision, but it's going to be an optimal decision based on the data we have. When a decision is made, I always say, well, the time that that decision is made is always the best decision that we try to make. It might not be the best one when we look back two months from now, but at some point, that decision has to be the best one we can take today, and I think that comes with collaboration. And once once a corporation is able to collaborate within, I think that's when you start expanding and pilot a few of your suppliers and start that collaboration with them and understand, you know, that you're trying to reach a win-win scenario. It's not trying to necessarily lower your costs overnight or push your supplier in a corner that, you know, he's at your mercy. I think it's really trying to get that win-win situation where we collaborate on, here's our data. I mean, here's what we need. The supplier might need different data points. The supplier might want to have something different. I think there's I think that face-to-face collaboration to be able to set the standards, set the procedures right, you know, how can we best collaborate and then put that model in place so that there would be success in the long term. We talked about some of the factors that have complicated the situation for distribution centers these days. What might be some of the biggest challenges you think that distribution center managers are facing in the years ahead, whether continued reshoring or a uh, more intense look at risk management programs, a more intense uh, consumer demand in an omni-channel environment. What do you think are the big challenges they're going to have to wrestle with? Well, I think the D.C. managers right now, you know, and in the future are going to have to, to really put in a flexible model. Uh, they need to be able to adapt uh, because as much as we believe that, you know, either the reshoring or the nearshoring is going to have an impact, nobody can really tell, you know, when that's going to happen. Same for consumers. Consumer behaviors, I mean, we've seen in the past few years, you know, with the recession and all that, I think consumer behavior greatly varies depending on, you know, a lot of factors, the economy and things like that. So are we going to go back at some point to more of a store type of purchase? I mean, is online going to increase, you know, every year from now on? Is it going to stabilize? And what's hard from a DC manager perspective is asking people to be flexible or they're constrained within four walls and metal racking that cannot just be moved around easily. So I think it's to build that model that's flexible, really understand and really be proactive in corporate decisions that are made that could impact 
their operations. It's one thing to be flexible. It's one thing to know what's coming. I think that, you know, the best way to be proactive is to know what's coming. So the example we had earlier, you know, if, if financially there is a decision to be made to reduce inventories and to reduce the size of lots, quantities that I'm receiving, well, there's going to be a big impact on that. And I think that being proactive, people can plan ahead. It's when those decisions are made and people start to get in a reactive mode that it gets really, really hard. So I think flexibility is key. It obviously comes at a price. And I think that's why a lot of people sometimes are, are trying to go out for a third party to help them out because they don't have the capabilities or they don't want to invest in that flexibility in the short term. I think people are starting to plan better as they need to revamp the facility, open new facilities. I think it's easier. But to be able to go back and change a current facility, I mean, is a little harder. I think it's uh, it's one thing that people are starting to do right now is really modify their operations to support what the future holds. To the best of everybody's knowledge, you know, like we said, demand forecasting, planning, and consumer behaviors. I think is if somebody had a crystal ball, it would be different. But I think it's uh, it's really the key is is to stay flexible and not to make decisions that are going to corner yourself and that you won't be able to get out of, or it'll take you, you know, months and months to, to get out of. Well, that's some really good advice for DC managers and for supply chains in general and trying to understand how to deal with changing inventory levels in the supply chain today. Jeff Primo, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for your insights. Great. Thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate it. That was my conversation with Jeff Primo of West Monroe Partners, talking about the challenge of applying lean strategies to the distribution center. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, where all of our episodes are now available. Just search for Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>